Take your Bibles and turn to the 15th chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 15. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are in a series of messages from the Gospel of Luke. And right now we are in that section of Luke that we call the travel narratives. Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem for the final time. He's on his way there to die for you and for me. And so last words are often very important words. Words that might last for someone else's lifetime. So it's interesting, Jesus knowing that his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension lie ahead for him. It's interesting to see what he chose to teach his disciples to carry on his work after he was gone. And so we come today to the 15th chapter of Luke. And in that 15th chapter, there are three parables. Two of them we looked at last week, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. But we come to the, today to the, to the last part of the chapter, beginning in verse 11, and we see what many people refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. There are others that refer to it as the parable of the loving father. But for our purpose this morning, I want to call it the parable of the lost sons. Lost sons. Now before we read the text here in Luke 15, Again, we need to set the stage a little bit because you need to understand the context, the setting that brought about these words from the mouth of Jesus. We find that context in the first two verses. There, Luke recounts that there were two groups of people that had come to listen to Jesus. First, there were the tax collectors and the sinners. These men and women correspond to the younger brother in the parable. They didn't observe the moral laws of the scripture. They didn't necessarily follow and obey all the law of Moses. They didn't necessarily observe all the rules for ceremonial purity that were followed by the religious Jews. They were the ones that would have engaged in wild and riotous living like the younger brother. But the second group of listeners was the Pharisees and the scribes the teachers of the law of Moses. They are represented in this parable by the elder brother. They held to their moral upbringing. They studied the scripture. They obeyed the scripture. They worshiped faithfully. They prayed constantly. They're the morally upright people. Now, the fact that the tax gatherers and the sinners were always gathering around Jesus puzzled and angered the moral and religious Pharisees and scribes. And they complain here in the first two verses by saying, this man receives or welcomes sinners and eats with them. They, they just couldn't get that. In that culture, to sit down and eat with someone was a token of acceptance. They're thinking, how can he be receptive and accept these terribly sinful people. What were they really saying? Well, how dare Jesus reach out to sinners like that? Those people never come to our services. 
Why would they be drawn to Jesus' teaching? He can't be declaring the truth to them like we do. He must not be teaching all the law of Moses like we do. He must be just telling them what they want to hear. So who does Jesus direct this parable at? You get to answer when I ask a question. Exactly right. That's the context. This parable is directed at the religious people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Now, there's a lot of other things in it we can grab from it, but that's who it's directed at. It is in their response, their attitude, that Jesus begins to tell the parable. The parable of the lost sons takes a good look at the soul of the elder brother and climaxes with a powerful plea for him to change his heart. Most of the time, this parable is taught with the focus on the loving father freely forgiving his wayward son. And, and that's, that's a good point. I don't believe it's the main point. Sometimes people teach this uh, from the viewpoint of the younger brother and that it's never too late to go back to the father. He's willing to forgive. That's a great point. That truth is taught here. But I don't think it's the main point. And I think we're going to see the main point as we go through this. Jesus is not so much pleading with the sinful, immoral outsiders as he is the good, moral insiders. And more often than not, brothers and sisters... (laughs) That's you and me. Remember a couple weeks back I mentioned how parables are, uh, they're, they're, they're like a picture, a mirror, and a window. First we just see it hanging there, okay? But then the mirror part looks back at us. And then finally we see it as a window where we see the truth more clearly that God wants us to see. Jesus wants to show us our blindness, our narrowness, our self-righteousness, and how these things are destroying our souls and the lives of people around us. And yes, this parable shows the destructive, selfish attitude of the younger brother, but it also condemns the self-righteous older brother, and both of those paths lead to a dead end. You know, it's interesting how Jesus' teaching attracted the irreligious people while offending the religious people of his day. Churches today don't seem to have that effect, do they? I mean, the kind of of outsiders that Jesus attracted, I don't think they're really attracted to the church today. We tend to draw people that are pretty much like us, right? The somewhat conservative, moralistic people, but the broken people, the marginal people, the licentious people, the sinful people, they tend to avoid the church. And that might mean that we're not declaring the same message that Jesus did. If our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, could it be because it's more full of elder brothers than we'd like to admit? Jefferson Walling says the reason we need a messiah, 
It's because we all make messes of our lives. And he says that if there are no messy people among us, then I wonder if he is among us. Good food for thought. Well, it's not unusual for parables to come in groups of three, as it is in this chapter. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons. When they do, the third parable is always the big one, the most important one. And in a parable, there may be three characters. And when that's the case, the third character is always the main character. And there may be three events or three acts. And when that's the case, the third one is always the most important. That's where the real lesson is being taught. This parable is a classic in that sense, in every way. So let's break it down into its three acts. Act 1 begins in verse 11 and goes down to verse 20. Here's what it says. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. He went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. That's act one. Act two begins in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to be merry. That's Act 2. Now we come to Act 3. The third act with the third character in the third parable. Here's where the real lesson is taught. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, your, father has, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, look. For so many years I've been serving you, I've never neglected a command of yours, yet you've never given me a kid that I might be married with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, my child, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. 
But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Now why is the older son so furious? Maybe, for one thing, he's upset at the cost of the party. (laughs) He says, you've never done this for me. I've served you all my life. I've never disobeyed you. Maybe it's not just the cost of the party that has him concerned. By bringing the younger son back into the family, and the father has done that, how do I know that? Put a ring on his hand. A sign that he's in the family. Okay. By welcoming that younger son back into the family, he's made him an heir again with a claim to a third of their now very diminished family wealth. And this is totally unacceptable to the older brother. He's adding things up and he's thinking, this isn't fair. It's not fair. There is no justice in this. I've got rights, you know. You've got no right to do this to me So the older brother publicly humiliates his father by refusing to come into the party. And he insults his father further by referring to his brother as this son of yours, not my brother. Now how's the father going to respond to his older son's open rebellion? What will he do? I mean, a man of his time and place in that culture could have disowned his son on the spot for for such rebellion. But instead he responds again with amazing tenderness. My son, my child, despite how you've insulted me publicly, I still want you in the feast. I'm not going to disown your brother, but I don't want to disown you either. Swallow your pride, come into the feast, the choice is yours. Will you or won't you? And I would imagine at this point, the listeners are on the edge of their seats listening to Jesus. Will the family finally be reunited in unity and love? Will the brothers be reconciled? Will the elder brother soften his heart and be reconciled to his younger brother and his father? And just as all these thoughts pass through the minds there, the story ends. Why doesn't Jesus finish the story? Why doesn't Jesus tell us what happened? It's because the real audience for this story is the Pharisees, the elder brothers, and all too often, you and me. Was it fair for the father to accept back that sinful, degenerate younger son the way he did? I mean, after all that son had done, was that fair? No, it wasn't. There's a word the Bible has for it, in fact. Say it louder. Grace. Grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And it saved a wretch like me. God has shown amazing grace to each one of us, but the real question is, will we show it to the sinners? To the degenerate? To the divorce to the alcoholic to the prostitute to you fill in the blank or are we going to have the attitude of the elder brother 
the scribes, the Pharisees, the morally upright. By Jesus not finishing the story, he deliberately leaves the elder brother in his alienated state. The bad son enters the father's feast. The good son will not. The lover of prostitutes is saved. The man of obedience is still lost. And you can almost hear the Pharisees gasp as the story ends. It was the complete reversal of everything they'd ever been taught. But do we realize what Jesus is teaching here? You can rebel against God and be alienated from Him by breaking His rules and living in sin like the younger brother did, but you can also be alienated from the Father by keeping all the rules and becoming so self-righteous that you lose the capacity to show grace. And that will separate you from the Father just as quickly. And the scary thing is, behaving like this older brother is a more spiritually desperate condition than being like the younger brother. And maybe one of the reasons we don't see more younger brothers in our churches is because they see too many elder brother attitudes rather than the love and the forgiveness of the Father. So what do people see in you and me? What do they see in the people that call New Hope Christian Church their home? Uh, It thrills me that so often when we see people place their fellowship with us that we hear their testimonies of how they were accepted here and how loving this congregation is. That thrills me. Let's not lose that. Let's not become like the elder brother. If you don't have a concern for that prodigal out there, that sinner out there, or that brother or sister out there that left in anger or frustration or with hurt feelings and hadn't been back to church since, then that kind of attitude, that exclusive self-righteous attitude, can cause you to be separated from the Father. It's possible for an individual to assume the place and the privileges of a son while never accepting the obligations and responsibilities of being a brother or sister. How many of us are willing to accept the responsibility of being a brother or a sister to the prodigal? You see, you can't claim the promises of God unless you're first willing to accept the obligations of brotherhood. A lot of people are trying to do that. They want all the promises, but they don't want to assume the responsibility of the prodigal out there. And all I'm saying is it's possible to serve the Father faithfully while never being in fellowship with Him. It's possible to do all the right things and still be separated from the Father. And you've got to watch that. You can be faithful in your attendance here and your service here and yet never be in fellowship with the Father, just like this elder brother. A wrong relationship with his brother brought a wrong relationship with his father. Indifferent towards his brother, he became hardened against his father. Envious of his brother, he became suspicious of his father. And angry with his brother, he became rebellious towards his father. So it's possible to be an heir to all the father possesses and have less joy and freedom than the one that has nothing. Just like the older brother.
and maybe the reason why there are so many empty seats in churches is not the power of competing interests necessarily or not the result of bad preaching necessarily, but maybe it's the spirit of the elder brother that presides in so many people that profess so very much, but they care so very little. Mercy, grace, and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to a sinner. And they need to see that coming from us. If you don't share the burden of the Father's heart, you'll never experience the joy of restoration. We must share the burden of the Father's heart for the prodigal. Now, if you're a prodigal this morning, if you're outside the will of your Heavenly Father, I've got good news. (laughs) You can be in the pig pen with pig gook all over you, just a total mess, dirtied by what you've done with your life. But the Father is still waiting with the grain fattened calf to welcome you back. And I pray that if you come back to the Father among us here in this congregation, that you will find grace among your elder brothers here. That's the message. I think the point is easy to get but it may not be pleasing to get. But let's share the burden of the Father's heart for the prodigal. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of decision. If you've got public decisions you'd like to make, you meet me right down front as we stand and sing.